Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat. I am Josh McCarty. With me tonight, as always, is Luca. And Luca, we have a five and four Buffalo Bills football team to talk about. The Bills fall to the Cincinnati Bengals 24 to 18 on Sunday Night Football. And unlike most episodes of Bill's Chat, where Luca and I give ourselves several hours to marinate on the game, to process the game, because of the timing of this game, we are recording this thing 15 minutes after the game ended and we are both very excited to see what the other person has to say but Luca I will start where I always start how are you doing when that game went final what was going through your mind um I'm stewing uh there's a lot going on in the mind right now um this is going to be an interesting episode for sure uh just give a disclaimer at the beginning I apologize if my filtration of language doesn't work this episode so if you are younger if you're a parent that allows your child to listen to this or anything like that if anything does slip i'm, I'm going to try to do my best but depending on the subjects that we discuss that i imagine are going to be highlighted in this episode there may be some things that come loose that's just how i talk naturally and everything i know josh is very familiar with that i know all my friends are very familiar with my uh choice vocabulary at times especially when i get talking so uh but overall when the game ended and everything like that definitely stewing it helped a little bit that i had friends over josh and i had to say goodbye to them and let them leave the house that little brief kind of like this is real life what we just had deal and everything like that is that but i mean we're going to be having some therapeutic uh conversations here on this podcast and we're going to be sharing with everyone our thoughts and situation what we feel about this i can't right now i'm there's a lot going on, Josh. I'll kick it back over to you. There's a lot. I'm I'm not excited for this episode, but we'll do it anyways. Yeah, there's a lot to get into. There's some McDermott stuff to get into, a, mon, a mind-boggling challenge in the fourth quarter that I don't think ultimately cost them the game, but it was just a one of those moments where you start questioning McDermott's game day acumen. Um, there were some plays by Dorsey that left you wondering. There was a throw by Josh Allen that made you think, "What is, is this guy checked in or checked out? Um, there's the number two wide receiver that after he has blow up games, people just can't wait to talk about what he's on pace for. And he has zero catches. And, you know, I, I think my biggest takeaway, Luca is going to be kind of depressing. Um, my biggest takeaway is something that I've been feeling for a while, but I haven't really felt confident enough to say, <clears throat> I think this is an average football team. And what does that mean? Uh, I think. You can take it however you want, but just keep in mind all the parts that go into a football team. Yes, there's the quarterback who we all think is is good, if not excellent. There's the wide receiver who we all think is excellent. Um, but football team is not just players. It's coaches. It's schemes. And everything that comes into this team that makes it the product we see week in and week out, whether it's we overvalued the players or we thought we overvalued the coach's ability to get the best out of these players. Whatever it is, I think the Bills are a 5-4 and four football team. I know they are, and that feels right. What I've seen through nine games, they feel like a 5-4 and four football team. I don't think this is a team where you look at it and you're like, oh, man, they, they're, they're two plays away from being 7-2. and two. Or, you know, uh, because you could go to the Giants game, you could go to the Bucks game, you, you could swing it back the other way. Um, I, I think this is a, is an average football team, and uh, that's where my biggest takeaway is, Luca. I hate to have to say that on November 5th. That doesn't mean that the season's over. This team is very much live for the playoffs, and you know, at their best, I still think that they have a puncher's chance. But 
it feels like it's going to be a long road for me back to a point where I expect this team to compete for the Super Bowl. And that's really disappointing. They're not plays away from winning these games. They're numerous players in positions and um, just proper coaching away from winning games. And what we're seeing is this injury situation is obviously getting out of control. To close out the game, your starting cor- your two boundary corners are Rasul Douglas, who you just traded for on Tuesday, and Josh Norman, who shouldn't be on an NFL roster in all reality. When you are dealing with that kind of situation, look, you're not in a good place. Micah Hyde has a stinger, it sounds like. Hopefully everything's good on that front, and he was kind of just being held out because he couldn't feel that arm that was the stinger, whatever it is. But when you are just so – when the, the injuries are stacking up, I feel like that's also when you start seeing true colors on coaching and how good of quality you have when it comes to the individuals whose job it is to put players in the best position to succeed and to do things to put them in the best position to succeed. And what we don't see on both sides of the ball when things are going wrong, when things aren't happening, is this coaching staff and everything of that nature just doesn't understand what to do to disguise deficiencies and disguise injury issues as best as they possibly can. Defensive side of the ball, I will do an asterisk to it. You can only do so much when you are literally playing a backup reserve defense across the board. Your starters, quote unquote, are Gregory Rousseau on the edge, Avon Miller at 70%, although, boy, you got to make that tackle late. Um, I'm trying to go through the list really quick here. Uh, Jordan Poyer at the end is still there. Mike Hyde's obviously out. Like, that's it. You're, you're looking at like three guys. Like, I guess we'll put Eddie Oliver in this mix too. He is, he was out there, I believe, but it's just like you have scraps out there and I I'll put the asterisks, but I don't, I'm not going to use that as a crutch. I'm not going to use that as an excuse. McDermott's supposed to be a defensive mind. He's supposed to know what he's doing. I will tell, I'll to start with a positive here. I'm happy McDermott didn't just sit back in zone and let you get diced up. I am happy about that. He clearly came in with a game plan that he wanted to try to be creative and establishing pressure in different ways with different looks and blitzing on different areas of the field throughout the entire game. It didn't matter that it wasn't working early and then he abandoned ship. He just kept trying to do it. I can respect that. But when you are not doing it well enough where they can't even get remotely close to getting home, and nothing's working at some point, you just need to throw it out and like later on and just completely change everything. Like I would have loved to have seen them just go to man up, Josh, just be like, screw it. Nothing's happening here. Let's just hat on a hat and just see what happens at this point. Cause getting home with six and seven was not happening. That's pathetic. I don't care what team you are. You could be the Las Vegas Raiders. You could be the Carolina Panthers. If you're rushing seven, there is not enough bodies in that backfield and on the line to block. That's just how it works. Basic math. And you're not getting home. That's pathetic. You're not doing something right as a defensive play caller and designing whatever it is that you're designing. That's just how that works. And that is bad. I don't care that it's reserved. I don't care that it's Dodson and, you know, everyone else out there. It, it just, I don't care. Bodies are bodies. They're athletes. Get home. And then with the offensive side of the ball, when you're trying to do anything by design and it's not working, that's coaching. When you're doing everything and hurry up and a little bit of improv and it is working, that's not coaching. That's just your best athlete on the field doing his job. 
and doing what he does best. So look at the defense and the coaching ain't working. Look at the offense and the coaching definitely ain't working. And you want to point your finger anywhere else, just point it at the sideline every flipping time because it's, it's done. I have been trying to be very cautious when it comes to being critical of Dorsey and McDermott. But this was the game, Josh, and I'll kick it back to you before we keep going. This was the game that officially broke me because time and time again, you saw moments in this game where coaching was quite literally the thing that lets you down, whether it's the offensive play calling and designing or lack thereof, what we'll call it design. When we saw that trick play, Josh, it was like something I never thought I would ever see in my life. It was actually a conversation we had during football Sunday in the regular time slot with someone earlier. It's like, when was the last time we saw a reverse or a trick play? Ironically enough, to start the fourth quarter, we finally saw one. Not that it worked, so who cares? Yeah. Um, and then on the defensive side, as I just said, like I like the idea of maybe what McDermott was trying to achieve, but a theory and an idea is only that. And when your execution is as poor as it was, clearly you didn't do something right as the defensive play caller and the individual through practice where that was the game plan. And it was, oh, I almost slipped there. It was pathetic that they literally couldn't even remotely sniff Joe Burrow. And the times that they did touch Joe Burrow, we had some other issues, but regardless, just embarrassing across the board when it comes to coaching in this game. And I'm just done with it. I thought this was a horrible McDermott night. I thought the uh, the challenge at the end of the game when the Bills are down by 14 and it's a nine-yard pass to Trent Sherfield that you know the referees thought he trapped on the ground. I think it's very plausible that he actually caught the ball bouncing off of his glove, but if you've watched enough football, you know you're not going to get that call unless it's conclusive, and none of the camera angles were conclusive. But I don't care if the camera angles are conclusive. At that point in time, a challenge is a risk-reward proposition. You're risking a timeout your reward is nine yards. So unless it is crystal clear in every single camera view that you see, it is not worth nine yards when it is second and 10 and you have Josh Allen and it's four down territory. You just, you take your L on that play, but you don't put the timeout up for grabs. That was, that was awful. Uh, I thought McDermott had some very uncharacteristic, but becoming a little too characteristic conservative play calls this game uh when josh allen throws the ball away on third down and the referees take like 30 seconds to call intentional grounding i think it's fourth and five and it's like from the 38 yard line mcdermott's sending out tyler bass and you're already down 21 to seven and i know there's only like 30 seconds left in the half but i just felt like i feel like at best it's 50 50 bass makes this if he misses it the Bengals are in point blank range and you have a shot here with your offense to, to make something happen and double dip. And McDermott just kind of cowered. Now, look, then they called the flag and we, we never know what would have happened. But Bass was on the field. So we know. But ultimately, where my frustration comes in with McDermott is where I think yours is, too, is it's what's going on with this offense. And I think it's influenced by McDermott. The way this game started was chef's kiss. Beautiful. The bills come out and the Bengals go down nine plays, 76 yards, touchdown. Boom, they're up seven, nothing. You're thinking, oh boy, here we go. Well, the Bills take the field and they punch back seven plays, 85 yards, all passes until they get down to the two yard line. Then Josh Allen runs it in and it's quick. It's, it's up tempo. It's everything we saw in the Bucks game last week. 
and we're thinking, all right, these are the bills that we can expect. They're, they're in this fight. They're ready to punch back. They're standing up for themselves. They've had 10 days to think about this, and they're ready. Bengals get back on the field. They go down and score a touchdown. I'll tell you, Luca, my thought was game on. Bring it on. I'm okay with this defense giving up points to the Bengals. I can look at this defense and see they just lost Terrell Bernard. They've lost Daquan Jones, Tredavious White, Matt Milano. Von Miller is not nearly the best version of himself. I'm okay with this defense having an off night. Let's see what this offense has. Well, what the offense had after that was they went into their turtle shell. They come back out after the Bengals punched them in the mouth on offense. And the Bills offense comes out after not running at all on the first drive. And it's James Cook left guard for two yards. And then the Bills get bailed out by a penalty pass interference. So they get a reset. Perfect. And then they bring in David Edwards as an eligible tight end for a negative one yard rush by James Cook. Two runs in a row. And now it's Josh Allen incomplete pass. Josh Allen incomplete pass. Great. Punt. Get the ball back from the Bengals. Bengals don't score in that drive. Two plays. Josh Allen incomplete pass to Hardy. It was a shot play. And then Josh Allen, the bad interception where he misread the cover two defense. It happens. Bengals go down. Um, they don't do anything else again. So the bank, the Bills take over. And on their next drive, it is James Cook up the middle. James Cook up the middle. Josh Allen sacked. The offense that came out flying high, up-tempo, I think was influenced by the head coach who saw his defense reeling on national TV. The head coach, who is now also the defensive coordinator, is having a hard time separating those two hats. A defensive coordinator in that situation wants to protect his defense. He wants to do to manage the game in a way that doesn't put his defense out there. But the head coach in 2023, especially with a quarterback like Josh Allen, especially has to manage the game aggressively. You don't make your offense protect your defense by slowing the game down and playing keep away. Your offense had a tempo. It had a rhythm. And you took that away from them by trying to make your offense your defense and keep your defense off the field. And all you did was you rushed yourself through offensive drives and the offense lost all their all their tempo. I think Sean McDermott is having his worst season from a game manager perspective. I think wearing two hats on game day is caught up to him. I think there's been some serious sloppiness. We saw it all over the field tonight. That challenge stood out like a sore thumb. And I think he is influencing this offense to be ultra conservative in moments that don't call for it. And I'm with you, Luca. It's not that I'm sitting here pounding the table for you have to you have to fire Sean McDermott. That feels reactive. Uh, but I will say this is the most open to listening to the conversation I have been willing to be because the reality of all of our situations as Bill's fans are. We do not know how much longer we have Josh Allen. It could be 15 years. I doubt it. I look more at the Cam Newton, Ben Roethlisberger timeline. If you get a Ben Roethlisberger career out of him, count your lucky stars. But there, he is rapidly approaching the age of 30. He'll be there in a couple years. And this roster behind him is in desperate need of a little bit of a reset. A lot of the key players are getting old. And it could be two or three years before this team is back up into a best roster with an elite quarterback in the sport. If we're lucky enough to get there and is Sean McDermott, the guy to get them over the hump. I am questioning that at this point in time. So I think I will kick it back to you. I know that's where you want to kind of leap off the show with tonight. I, I think that question of our questioning Sean McDermott is warranted at this point. It's, 
I'm I'm not the door's not even just open, Josh. I am in line. I'm in line with the individuals finally, or it I'm sharing a similar mind now where it's like, look, it's kind of it's you know, it's it's at a point where a coach will only be able to do so much from most of the time. Individuals are good at what they do and they have a ceiling, they have a cap. And I just wonder a couple things. Is the message being lost or just not there anymore? We talked about it with Leslie Frazier and just the defense in general after last year. But is that the entire locker room at this point? Is the McDermott trust the process just no longer a thing and not inspiring anyone in there? It's getting kind of dull in that locker room because I'm with you. Like, I didn't think going into the game that McDermott influenced play calling and everything like that too, too much. But what we saw today like after that opening drive where it was kind of hustle and bustle, a lot of success early. And then from that point on, even in the kind of hurry up offense, especially the one drive they had in the fourth quarter, the, it wasn't even kind of, it was the slowest, no huddle drive I have ever experienced. It felt like there was no urgency whatsoever. And I think that was by design. There was something to it. Now, Allen had to take an extra second or two to just ensure coverage, step forward, make sure his line understands what they need to be seen, everything like that. When you're on the road in a tough environment, I fully understand that. That is okay with me. But when you're watching the entire weapon unit, you know, the receivers and everyone kind of half huddle, we'll call it. Everyone's getting very close, which noise might be playing something, but don't you have hand signals? Don't you have anything where you can just get them to the line quick? make a a signal or two. You see it across the league everywhere else. Why is that not something that this offense and Josh Allen can also do himself? Josh Allen is a very smart individual. He can understand things at a much higher level than most other NFL quarterbacks. Why do we always need to be doing vocal commands? Stuff like that. And then I, I will say McDermott has an influence on this offense now. I'm with that. And that shouldn't happen in my mind. He should have the overall say in questionable decisions and how to manage games when up. But when you're behind at that point in time, honestly, I want my offensive mind to just be aggressive, put the foot on the gas and make things happen. When you're up 10 points, when you're up a score, things like that, maybe you run things by your head coach. But if you're behind, you do not want to feel limited or feel micromanaged because you want to try to maximize the output you're getting out of your offense and out of a Josh Allen. And it's just being wasted away right now with subpar at best play calling and Ken Dorsey that is completely uninspiring and just boring as all hell. I'm not even with the Kirk Cousins comparison that you've done where it's always wanting you leaving more, leaving you wanting Mm -hmm. more. It's just bad. Like it's there's there's no concept. There's no rub routes. There's nothing like the most successful play we had tonight. The most successful concept, Josh, we had tonight were RPOs with Dalton Kincaid and wide open flares in the flat. That was the most successful play Mm -hmm. on a regular basis we had tonight. A base-level NFL offense can do that. Dalton Kincaid, by the way, looks like he is definitely someone. That fumble is very unfortunate. He'll probably learn not to jump over a defensive back every opportunity he has. That's probably the lesson he learned on that one. Put your shoulder through him. Don't jump over him. You're exposing yourself, and you don't have a stable ground to you. He's young. You'll learn. But outside of that, man, outside of Diggs, which is going to be gone sooner than later, Josh Allen has nothing, and you're relying on him and everything you have in the limited years, as you said, to drive this offense forward, and your offensive coordinator alongside the head coach is completely handicapping it. You have Josh Allen's nuts in your hand, and you are not letting him move. 
And that is pathetic. Embrace the chaos. Embrace the big play. Embrace everything this offense can. At its peak, when Josh Allen is doing Josh Allen things, it never feels like you're ever going to be stopped. Right now, it never feels like you're going to cross the 30 of the opposition. Ever. When you do, it's probably because Josh Allen ran a couple times, got outside the pocket, and was able to make a break, a broken down play happen for you in the passing game. Things of that nature. That's not design. That's Josh Allen being Josh Allen. Those won't be there sooner rather than later. That's the that's just the unfortunate truth of it all. And this coaching staff and everyone making decisions right now is completely neutering it. it it's 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 awful. It's mind boggling. I don't understand why individuals who are important and make decisions look at unbelievable talent and decide to try to tame it and try to not maximize its output. Why would you look at the ceiling that is sky high and go, you know what? We probably are still okay to be, you know, a decent enough team if we manage the clock a little bit with Josh Allen. Fuck that. Let it go. Do it. Like, what are we doing here? You're playing the Bengals in front of everyone. This is the this is a season-defining game. This has everything about it. You saw graphics that NBC put up that are garbage anyways, but you saw all that crap in front of you, and you're 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 absolutely neutering and trying to manage a game that doesn't need to be managed. Show Joe Burrow in Cincinnati what the F is up. Show him what you can do. Don't try to manage the clock and figure it out from there. It's bull crap. You're jipping the fans, you're jipping yourself, and you're gonna coach yourself out of a job. And that's where McDermott's finally getting himself to. He's coaching himself out of a job because he's showing he just can't handle big moments. He lets emotions get to him, which he's supposedly supposed to be not an emotional individual. That's what that challenge is. That challenge is losing sight of what's going on in front of you. And you just see something where you feel a little bit robbed. You feel emotionally deprived by something and you want to show them that they're wrong. Who cares? As you said, it's second and 10 with the stop with the clock stopped. Josh Allen will pick it up for you in three plays. Hopefully. I mean, I don't actually know because I don't know what the hell it's going to be called on offense, but you would like to hope that Josh Allen in this offense can pick up 10 yards in three plays. What it's, it's just mind boggling awful. And I, I'm just done with it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a fire McDermott guy, but I am very much entertaining the idea that this coaching staff has hit a wall has hit its peak and it is now on the downturn and something needs to happen before it gets completely out of hand. And I will say this, Josh, it's a ridiculous thing to say before I kick to you, but it's funny in the off season, there was all this talk about digs and digs being irate and digs, not being happy with where this team's at. There is something in that. Now I'm finally at this point where it's like digs was seeing something build and go where he is clearly not happy about something. Conversations were had things of that nature. And I like I I don't mind wide receivers wanting the ball and stuff like that, but I don't think that was necessarily what it was. And at this point in time, if he was just like, hey, this team is not going to go far enough with what we have upstairs with Dorsey and what you are as McDermott, there might be some validity to that because this is not good enough. This isn't good enough. This is barely good enough to maybe make the playoffs. And from there, you just need Josh Allen to go off in order to maybe win a one score game for you. That's what it's going to take. And that is just not good enough for a Josh Allen. That's not good enough for this team. It should be better. I expect better when you have an Allen 
because you should be able to build around that with ease and have a play caller that wants to design and scheme things for him to make his life as easy. I mean, look, it, Josh Allen is better than Matt Stafford, but having a Sean McVay there for him to absolutely maximize everything he could for him. And that one year that you won a Super Bowl, Matt Stafford was a possible MVP candidate. That's not, you know, that's not a fluke. That's Sean McVay at his peak, understanding the arm talent that he finally had at his disposal. And he showed the world, this is what I can do with an elite quarterback. And he gave one last hurrah to Stafford, essentially, to show him he can win a Super Bowl with that. If McVay had a Josh Allen, Josh, I'm pretty sure they'd go undefeated. I'm pretty sure the Rams would be the best team in the NFL, and they would be it for a long time. If you put someone like that in the hands of someone that actually knows how to scheme and design an offense and do things and not worry about game control and clock management and all that other BS that you still screw up, you actually will be an elite team. But instead of that, you have a head coach that's worried about controlling the clock and worrying about his defense and not trying to get them on the field as fast as possible. And then an offensive coordinator that wouldn't know what a vanilla ice cream scoop of an offense he has in front of him when he keeps calling it every week. It's a joke. There is no imagination to the run game. And, you know, it's funny when, when the bills became good in like 2019, 2020, when they got digs and they started getting all these spotlight games and they were a, a national topic. And all of a sudden, you know, shows that wouldn't talk about the bills used to, I mean, during the playoff drought, you would be excited if PTI would just like have a little blurb about the upcoming bills game. It's like, Oh, they're going to Tony Kornheiser is going to mention the bills. And now, you know, Nick Wright is a bills hater and Colin Cowherd has very strong opinions on the bills where he, he constantly says that I don't think you can win with the defensive coach and the defensive coach has too much power and they cower in big moments. And, um, you know, it's funny because when you watch a team up close, like we do with the bills, it's easy to roll your eyes at the national coverage because a lot of it is just talking points that move the conversation. And a lot of the dig stuff this summer felt like just generating a story during the NFL dead period. But to your point, when you start to step back from it and you think, okay, he did miss day one of, OTAs that were mandatory. So something was up. And then you hear enough people that were connected to it that are just like, you know, he was not convinced that this team was going in the right direction. And then you start thinking about like, okay, well, Nick, Wright. Well, a lot of us have written off Nick, Wright as like this over the top bills hater. And some of that is him playing a role on TV. We understand that he's a chiefs fan. He goes above and beyond. He, Nick Wright's very frustrating because if you ever listen to his podcast, the dude has the ability to, to just take over sports media if he could stop playing this character, but um, he does. And, you know, he goes over the top with his Bills hatred, and I get it. But um, when you start looking at some of the stuff he says, like the Bills have been going backwards for three years, 2020 AFC Championship game, 2021 um, division title loss or division game loss to the Chiefs. We all know 13 seconds, 2022 non-competitive division loss to the Bengals. And he says the roster is just getting older and worse. And they lost Brian Dable. And then you're like, well, they're five and four. <laughs> Maybe he was right. Maybe he was right that the Super Bowl window is closing. Stephen A. Smith saying, I don't look at this Bills team as a great team. I look at this Bills team as a team that, that missed their chance. And we all, 
our first response is missed our chance. We still have Josh Allen. Yes, that's factually true. As long as the Bills have Josh Allen, they have a shot. But the point is, the reason why this team was a Super Bowl favorite, the favorite in the league, is because they didn't just have Josh Allen. There are a lot of good quarterbacks to go around in the sport. They had a roster to back it up, and this roster is not the elite roster that I think a lot of us thought it was, and they don't have that coaching staff to Lucas Point to elevate it. Just imagine what Mike McDaniel could do with Josh Allen where the first read is always open, and then when Tua has to go off script, the play dies. Then you have Josh Allen going off script, and it's like, good luck. You're not stopping this offense. I I thought about today, like, maybe the national media has been right all along, and maybe this is just criticism we didn't want to hear. Now, look, we there's still – the Bills are 5-4. and four. There's still eight games left in this season. There's a lot of directions this game can go, or this season can go. And we've seen teams that have stumbled – stumbled along the way, get into the playoffs, get hot, and win a Super Bowl. The Rams were a team that very much was middle of the pack at this point in the season. You know that. And they stumbled into the playoffs, and then they ended up ripping off four wins and got a trophy out of it. But I, I think right now the, the reality is number one seed is dead. You, you have four losses by November 5th. The number one seed is dead. So that goal that this team has been chasing for three years already out the window I think you can hold out hope for the AFC East, but what does that really even amount to? That's one home game in round one. Um, I, I think at this point, you just have to hope the Bills make the playoffs. And when they get there, they get some bodies back. Maybe Milano comes back. Maybe Daquan Jones comes back. Maybe Von Miller is closer to the Von Miller we've come to expect. Uh, but then you're also hoping they don't lose anybody else. And, and that seems like a, a risky proposition. So it's all a mess. I think that's where I come back to. This team is just not that good. And we've seen teams that are six seeds go on to win the Super Bowl. So I'm not telling you the season is over. What I'm telling you is my expectations have lowered now. And it's disappointing on McDermott. We've talked about McDermott for like the first 30 minutes. Let's talk about Gabe Davis. Where are you at with Gabe Davis, Luca? Uh, I think... There's a lot of conversation about how Gabe Davis is this high-end number two wide receiver. He's a polarizing player among Bills fans. There's a lot of people that are tired of the Gabe Davis roller coaster where one week it's 100 yards, four weeks in a row it's nothing, and then one week it's 100 yards. Um, to me, it's too much of a roller coaster to be a wide receiver too. In a night where the Bills could not generate anything offensively, in a night where they had 10 points, 57 minutes into this game, Gabe Davis, the number two wide receiver who is looking for a big contract extension, had two targets for a grand total of zero catches for zero yards. Absolutely not good enough. Where are you at with Gabe Davis? Gabe Davis is a flash in a bottle wide, re wide receiver where, yeah, his highs are incredible. Obviously, we all know his highs. But, yeah, he, he is far from a wide receiver, too, to me. I don't care about his end-of-year stats. The problem that I have with Gabe Davis, and we've talked about it, you beat this drum a lot yourself, is I just don't see any form of consistency. I just don't see it any time. And it's in a vast, like vast variety of things, whether it's, you know, catching the ball, intermediate route running, things of that nature. Let me also put it to you this way. Just as simple as this. When it comes to Gabe Davis as a wide receiver, too, in the future, and I spat out uh, numbers in my living room, it looks like uh, they were higher than what uh, SpotTrack has them listed as your value. There are two wide receivers that both played tonight that are technically eligible to be 2024 free agents next year. Gabe Davis being one, T. Higgins being the other. 
Would you rather pay $25 million for your wide receiver two to Gabe Davis or T Higgins? Because I'll tell you what, one has been a consistent target for their offense with a dynamic wide receiver opposite, and one has not. And that is not Gabe Davis, that is T Higgins. And right now, the value is $15 million for T Higgins, 11.2 for Gabe Davis. I think those numbers are off. It just hasn't adjusted in my mind to the wide receiver market. It also, though, has good comps for Gabe Davis right now in that wide receiver market. I think the interesting part, I think Gabe Davis is slightly better by the, than this individual, but it's a comparable name to bring up. He is essentially a slightly better version of MVS. <laughs> that is what Gabe Davis is to me. It's great comp. Like, it's a perfect, like, Look, MVS can be a guy for you. We've seen success with him in flashes with Aaron Rodgers, and you see him step up once or twice with Mahomes, although I think that's more of a Kansas City offense situation more than anything else. I think that offense has also got its issues going on, and it's never been a wide receiver juggernaut offense in the first place. But that is what Gabe Davis is kind of like to me. He's a better MVS, whereas a T. Higgins can be a legitimate number two wide receiver. I don't ever compare them, and I don't think anyone out there does compare them. I'm just bringing these two individuals up because they're both hitting the open market next year as of right now, and they both played tonight. And you could see the palpable difference. Jamar Chase gets hurt. He has a back injury going on. If Stefan Diggs was going through that, Josh, we're not moving the ball an inch. Gabe Davis ain't doing anything for this. It would be Kincaid, and that's it. Mm -hmm. That's Three yard passes to Kincaid, and you right. hope he gets a first down. Hopefully. Hopefully when he turned around to catch that eight-yard curl, he can make that move, make a guy miss, and pick up a first down. With Jamar Chase going down, they could rely on T. Higgins, who was running you know, eight-yard, ten-yard comebacks. Rasul Douglas was right on his back every time, by the way, and yet he had the reach, had reliable hands to still secure those balls and keep moving the chains for that offense when Jamar Chase was clearly not at 100%. And that is what Gabe Davis is. He's just not that. He's not a reliable secondary target on the perimeter. He can be just lost in the shuffle. You can't have a wide receiver two in a dynamic offense that gets lost in the shuffle. I am at a point right now where I am seriously going. I kind of in big moments would rather see a Khalil Shakir as that outside boundary number two because I have seen him at least have the ability once in a while to bring tough, reliable, contested catches down where I just don't see that out of Gabe Davis outside of maybe two games a season. We have seen that numerous times now. I don't think Gabe Davis is the worst thing. It's just he is no longer and no longer will ever be a wide receiver two in this league. That's just how it works. It's a sad reality, people. He got four touchdowns and over 200 yards in a playoff game. Good for him. He is not a wide receiver two, period. End of story. Just how it is. You know when Gabe Davis was at his best, Josh? When he's working in the slot, working deep crossers, and working up the seam. That is when Gabe Davis was at his best. When he is just working that middle, up top, over you know, deep crossers that Allen can hit when rolling out or hit the seam because Gabe Davis is a much bigger individual than most other receivers in this league that are probably running those same routes. Which... Might I add, by the way, going back to offensive scheming, when was the last time you saw a designed deep route out of the slot up the seam? At all, ever, with anyone. I don't care who it is. It could be a you know eligible tackle at tight end. I don't give a shit. When have you seen it? Because it hasn't happened all year. And we used to dominate in that position and in that role, whether it was up the seam 
or a deep crosser. That slot man just finding that over the hook and deep corner zones, but just under those deep safeties. That used to be a staple in this offense, especially when Josh Allen went off script. It never happens anymore. That availability isn't there. Anyone over the middle, Josh, is a 10-yard curl, 10-yard in, whatever it might be, just squatting in that middle zone area. Guess what a linebacker can do? Recover on someone that's squatting in their zone. He can make a play on that. A safety can break on that. I, I, I just blows my mind. And Gabe Davis is now just being limited to boundary on top of it, going back to Gabe Davis, and he just can't do it. Gabe Davis is not an outside-the-numbers receiver, plain and simple. He needs the ability to be inside, the ball to get to him a little bit quicker where he's not always making a contested catch because there's a split second more time for that defensive back to get to him. And honestly, it's just unfortunate. It it sucks because I do think the athleticism with him is potentially there. It's just not ever going to get put all together. It's not going to work at a level you need your number two boundary receiver to be. You need someone else in that position That's just the bottom line. And I am not willing to spend a cent on Gabe Davis upcoming in this free agency market unless he is willing to take what his actual market value is. If he's able to take, if he's willing to take 10 million, I think I could pallet that because that's like a Tyler Boyd salary right now. And if you're telling me Tyler Boyd or Gabe Davis, yeah, that's okay. They're different style players. So obviously I'm not comping them as individuals, just as a market value, what they get paid right now. But outside of that, where I think Gabe Davis is trying to get more because of his age and what he has the potential for, no, I don't, I don't even want to sniff it. I don't even want to deal with it. Let him go out in the open market. If someone's willing to pay him $20 million to be their wide receiver too, like a Jacksonville or whatever it is, like they did a couple of years ago with Christian Kirk and whatnot. So be it. Have fun with that. Have fun with Gabe Davis. Have fun with his alligator arms and his rock hands that just love to show up every once in a while. It's just never going to work. He's not a reliable target out in the boundary. I'm sorry for any Gabe Davis lover out there. I've always wanted to try to believe in him, but it's just not working. And the issue, if you're in the camp of wanting to extend Gabe Davis, when you look ahead to 2024, the Bills have the following players on the books. Tredavious White, 16.6 cap number. I think it's very up in the air if he's going to be an active member of this team next year, but that cap number will be counting against the bills, whether he is or not. Uh, Von Miller, $23.8 million cap number. Now these can be adjusted if you want to kick the can down the road, but I mean, are you feeling good about kicking the can down the road on Von Miller and Shadavius White locking them up longer term? I'm not. Um, what, what, what kind of form is he going to be in? Matt Milano, 12.37 right now has a broken leg. We hope he comes back, but We shall see Dawson Knox, 14.4 million. You're not getting out of that contract. 20 million dead money if you cut him. And that is a contract that I think a lot of people look at right now and they think looks kind of wasteful. Do you want to give Gabe Davis 12, 13 million APY for nights like this where Khalil Shakir and Dalton Kincaid clearly outplay him? I think Gabe Davis signing an extension with this team has the opportunity to be the next in a, a decent line of contracts that you look back on and regret. Luca, we have some Stefan Diggs news coming out. Apparently, uh, Olivia Ray, who is a Bengals reporter for W, excuse me, WLWT in Cincinnati, had this at halftime. When the Bills head to the locker room, trailing the Bengals 21 to 7, 
she overheard Stefan Diggs shaking. His, I, I, I checked her Twitter. This is completely legit. This isn't like a troll um, shaking his head and yelling. I'm not even sweating. I'm not even fucking sweating. So, I mean, hey, we know Diggs is a competitor. We know um, that he wears his emotion on his sleeve for the most part this season, especially given numerous opportunities to blow up. He's been a good teammate. And I don't want to count this as like a bad teammate Diggs moment. But I think that's a sign that the things that we are frustrated about with this play calling, the players are also frustrated with. John Scott, who covers the Bills beat, has also said that you know, as he's working through the locker room, talking to various Bills players, multiple offensive players, Luca, unprompted have brought up tempo. Um, I get a very strong sense that Ken Dorsey is going to be the fall guy for this, this offseason, if and when this season does not end up with a Super Bowl or at least a deep playoff run. Um, but I just, I fear, like I, you know, give me another hour with you and I think I could be on the Fire McDermott bandwagon. I, I feel like I, I'm trying not to be too reactive because I know everything we're saying is recorded. But what does that Diggs thing say to you? Is that is that surprising? I, I know we tend to make a mountain out of anything Diggs says. That's not what I'm trying to do here. But I think his frustration is real because I think a lot of fans were feeling it too. The frustrations with the offense, clear, not breaking a sweat. What does that tell me? Like, if that's truly what the words were, I'm, I haven't broken a sweat. I haven't broken a bleeping sweat. Mm -hmm. That is, use me. Let me be that guy. Let me do work for you. Hit me with 16 targets. I don't give a fuck. Hit me. Let me be that. And what you're doing upstairs and the play calling you're telling Josh and what you're utilizing for me is BS. This is nonsense. Diggs got used early in the game plan, and I genuinely cannot remember Diggs getting a target outside of that opening drive. Now, the Bills barely had the ball. At one point, I think they only had seven minutes total of time possession, and that was in the third quarter. But it's like, deuce, your best offensive player outside of Josh Allen is Stefan Diggs, and it's by a mile. I think Kincaid can eventually close that gap a little bit with time, but it will never actually get there, at least while Diggs is still what he is right now. And you just decide to not use him. I will say this. Allen misunderstanding the cover two he looked at that he threw that pick on. He was clearly looking at digs. And I think what that was, was him trying to draw that, you know, outside flat zone coverage to digs to then hit Davis in that intermediate route. Mm -hmm. He just didn't understand that Cam Taylor Britt didn't give a shit about digs and was willing to track back. Honestly, that's just good on Taylor Britt. That's I, I do believe Josh Allen saw what he saw when you look at the, you know, all 22 outlook of the dots, at least it is clearly a cover two scheme. Like it, it, like yeah. you watch it off the break. It's cover two. You got your line, Mike just flying back into the middle, your two deep zones going out into the corners deep. You have your opposite boundary corner, by the way, crashing in off snap. Like it is cover two. It's just cam Taylor. Britt Brit didn't care. <laughs> like he did not care. He's, he actually allowed you digs. What I'd love to see Allen do is still just give it to Diggs there. Because even off the snap, when you saw Diggs just run that quick out, he could at least get you five yards. And if you don't necessarily love what you're seeing on the absolute boundary where it's like Cam Taylor, Taylor Britt squat on the actual underneath immediately, just take that. That's fine. I don't necessarily blame Allen too much because, like I just said, the coverage he thought he saw was probably that, and it was just Taylor Britt going YOLO. But overall... That's a target that was missed with digs that should probably be there. 
There's other things though with Diggs where it's like Dorsey, Dorsey deserves the heat, man. Like mm-hmm. he deserves it. All of it's warranted. This is BS, man. I feel robbed. We feel robbed because what we see out there, Frank Reich is putting out the same effing offense. When I watch the Panthers and I watch us, feels like the same crap. We are just lucky enough to have Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs. That's the difference. Yeah. Like this is a joke. And Diggs is just, I, I love that he doesn't muzzle himself. I love that he speaks up. I love that he does that. I love hearing that other offensive players just brought up tempo. You know, like it's so funny how simplistic it is to NFL players in general when good teams, bad teams, everything in between. When something works, the entire locker room recognizes it and they just want to keep doing it. And when you just decide as a coaching staff and as a play caller to just ignore that and not do what's successful, you lose a locker room very quick and you lose players very, very quick. And I'm pretty sure Dorsey's gone already with the players. I think it's over. I think the only individual that's probably still in there trying to fight for Dorsey is Josh Allen, because I think Josh Allen is a loyal guy to his, his boys. And I think Dorsey's just someone he likes having around as a person, which is weird because Dorsey, I think, is borderline insane. But Mm -hmm. uh, I do think that's the only thing keeping Dorsey around at this point in time. Other than the fact, too, it's November. You don't fire an offensive coordinator at this point unless it's absolute dire straits. But overall, dire straits is coming. (laughs) We we are at a point now where it's like I would. Josh, let me let me ask you a quick question before I kick it back to you and stuff with all of this. Would you rather see 60 minutes of Ken Dorsey calling plays or 60 minutes of Josh Allen drawing it in the dirt and seeing what this offense can do that way? Because at this point in time, I say, fuck it. Give me Josh Allen drawing it in the dirt. It seems to work a hell of a lot better. You know, it's funny because um, I know Ken Dorsey deserves blame and I hear everything you're saying. The thing I stop short of is I just wonder how much say McDermott has in the whole process. And I, something really stuck out to me when Melissa Stark interviewed McDermott coming out of halftime, the bills were trailing 21 to uh, seven. And they asked McDermott what needs to change with your offense. And it was a complete throwaway line, but McDermott says we got to stay out of third and longs. Yep. And I'm like, what? Because you know, it could be a, it could be a throwaway line. I'm I'm talking to a reporter. I don't want this conversation to go on any longer. Let me just say the thing and get on, get on my very merry way. But that is a mindset we have seen with this offense all year long. We're first and second down are trying to set up third and short. Where is our bills offense? We're first and second down. We're intended to avoid third downs. It was rare when this team had a third down. And when it was third and 10, you were like, Psh- Ain't no thing. We got Josh Allen. We got Diggs. We got Brian Dable drawing it up in the dirt. That's another thing when you're talking about Gabe Davis and like how, when he was best used, he did, he had Brian Dable scheming him open, but that's, you know, I don't want to backtrack. I, I just wonder how much Sean McDermott is suppressing the whole thing. Is he going to Dorsey before the drive saying like, Hey, my defense is gassed on this one. I need, I need you to get some time off the clock. And that just alters the way Dorsey's thinking. Instead of going up tempo, he's thinking, okay, well, I'm going to go James Cook, take 40 seconds off the clock. Uh, maybe I'll go James Cook again, get it to third and makeable. I got to, the goal of this drive is to hold on to the ball. That's just summarizing. Where I think a team like the Bills, the goal of every drive should be to score. And whether you score fast or you score slow, 
it, there should not be ulterior motives until you get to like four minute offense where you also want to like win the game. The bills, I think they neutered their own offense tonight by slowing it down, trying to keep the Bengals off the, off the field, turning their offense into their defense instead of just letting their offense go. And it's a shame. Hopefully they can learn that lesson. But to answer your question, I, I'm at a point where I want to, I, I think I'm open to a coordinator change because this is not working. What, whatever the, whatever's going on, it's not working, but I will also, and you know, and if you want to further the point, you brought this up several weeks ago, you know, when I was like, you brought in Deontay Hardy to throw him three yard screens. Like he's a downfield threat. And you, you said, I don't like the way they're using a lot of their personnel. It, it doesn't make sense. Like it's, I, I know we talk about like Hardy and Shakir at the time and, and sure feel like they're just Jags. But the thing about Jags is they're not useless. Most Jags like have one thing they do really well. And Sean Payton found a way to make Deontay Hardy an explosive playmaker because he sent him down the field and schemed him open when he had guys like Michael Thomas drawing coverage and Deontay Hardy could get open. We're, every time Deontay Hardy goes deep, it does not fool the defense because there's double coverage on him. And we've seen that in the Jets game. We saw it tonight. And I don't know. It, it seemed like tonight, like the Bengals were just totally okay with Dalton Kincaid catching five yard passes and, and falling forward for 10 yards. And that is minimizing what he did. He had a good game statistically. And I think he looks like a really nice player, but I don't see imagination with Dalton Kincaid. I don't see that guy. We even saw in college uh, breaking the seam, like Lucas said, and, and finding a way to really put stress on a defense. And I do think Gabe Davis is the kind of player that if used correctly, could be a weapon for an offense, just not a number two weapon. And, and that's where my ultimate frustration does come back. I think McDermott could be suppressing the whole thing, but I, I would like to see a new set of eyes on the offense. But I do think that if this season goes where I fear it could go, where the bills only win nine or 10 games and they're an early exit in the playoffs, a lot of tough conversations need to be had at one bills drive. Luke, any final thoughts on this game before we put a bow on it and do our game balls and game checks? Yeah. I mean, it's just essentially like I, going into a final point on what you brought up about McDermott and that response that like I've, I finger pointed you. Cause yeah, when that response happened, it's like, why is the mind even about third down? <laughs> why are you even thinking about it? Guess what happened for Cincinnati on that opening drive, Josh, zero third downs, mm -hmm. zero. They don't think about third downs. They think about how do we move the ball down the field the most efficient way possible while big, making big plays happen. And by the way, those opening two drives set up their most successful play in the second half. The opening two drives, this is how scheming works, Josh. I, I don't know if you've heard of it. This is how <laughs> scheming works. You have trips, tight end, stack with Jamar Chase. Set up a couple screens out there. They don't really go anywhere, but you run them and you do them. Why? Because then in the second half, you have the exact same look. You could even see the Bills defense play racket. And all of a sudden, you have this nobody tight end just running absolutely free 10 yards down the field with no one in sight other than a safety 10 yards away. And it's a free first down every time. That's how scheming works. That's how you run an offense. You set things up. You create similar looks provide different opportunities you do different things and i think the focus from mcdermott and the focus from this offense is so far off the mark on what it should be that that's even where i entertain the mcdermott's just not it anymore because yes like you're saying 
if Dorsey's not fully to blame, who else is there? It's the head coach who's causing the issues with Dorsey. What I will say is this, too. Going into something I kind of mentioned earlier in this episode, I want an offensive coordinator, especially when down, who will just flip the bird and go, F you, this is what I want to do. We need points. We need to move the ball fast. F you, F your possession, F your clock management. That sucks. I'm going to just throw the ball around. I'm going to throw the pill and see what happens. I'm going to get it to playmakers. I'm going to get, I'm going to throw the ball to digs 10 straight times, 10 plus yards down the field. I don't give a shit. That's what we're going to do here. Cause I know, guess what? Allen's probably going to hit at least five of them, if not more, because that's what he does. I don't care about you wanting to hit James Cook in the screen game for nothing or running these stupid run plays that are set up for disaster every time when you essentially put in an obvious blocking personnel where it's like, hey, just key in on this, man. Go eat deep in the box. It's fine. You'll see what happens. And you need to rely on James Cook just finding the scene magically. It's stupid. It's dumb. It's uninspiring. And it's BS. Your mind's not in the right place. And you don't have an offensive coordinator who's willing, which, by the way, Brian Dable was that guy. There's obviously reports that came out that Brian Dable and Sean McDermott didn't quite get along at times. And I bet you in that exact moment right there, a Dable would have told McDermott, fuck you. This is mm-hmm. what we're doing. And I want that. If you're down, that's what I want out of an OC. That's what I want out of anyone in general. I would love Josh Allen to tell Dorsey, that's dumb. This is what we're calling. Because I trust Josh Allen at that point, especially when you need to make chunk plays happen to make yardage happen, to make it happen over whatever game management BS that McDermott and Dorsey are scheming up in their game plan. It's crap. It's nonsense. It doesn't work. I think Dorsey's on a ticking time bomb. That is, once the season, I don't even care how this run goes. I don't even give a shit. I think Dorsey's done. Dorsey's time is over. He will be the fall guy, Josh. It will happen. McDermott will still be here. That's it's the only reason I'm not going to lean hard into this fire McDermott nonsense. It just won't happen. Yeah, the Pagulas aren't going to do that. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. Put Terry Pagula. I don't want to yeah, throw yeah. him in there. Right, but but Dorsey's gone. Like this is you gave a first time play caller two years. And unfortunately, it was a year and a half too much. Although, you again, you don't fire a play caller midseason. You just don't do that, especially as a 13-win team last year. But overall, man, it is just uninspired, and uninspired, dull, pathetic, and just it doesn't even leave you wanting more. It just leaves you frustrated with your hand head in your hands going, why the fuck are we wasting Josh Allen? Sorry mm-hmm. for the image. I'm with you. I'm with you. I think there, there are going to be some fun conversations this offseason if this season goes the direction it feels like it's going. You know, I think the Bills, sitting here today, I would still predict the Bills make the playoffs just because seven teams make it. But, man, they have some tough games left. We're talking about the Eagles, Chiefs, Cowboys, Chargers, Dolphins again in Miami without the defensive players that were on the field when they beat them in Buffalo, they're going to have to win one of the one or two of those games to make it. And I don't know. And it's funny. You mentioned the, um, the interception tonight. I think defenses are, are starting. There's the, you know, all players have tells, but even going back to the new England game with Jabril peppers, it feels like anytime somebody runs a high, low concept, the bills do defensive players are saying, <laughs> Forget the low part. I'm gonna I'm gonna drop to the high because Josh Allen can't help himself. 
And if he throws a five yard check down to the low, I'll just make the tackle. But nine times out of 10, Josh Allen's going to try to fit it into the window. And I think that's what happened tonight in that cover two one. But all right, Luca, not a fun game, not a fun result. The bills are five and four. They push forward. But uh, before we get out of here, we have to hand out some game balls and game checks. Game balls go to the game MVP and uh, game check much more of the negative side. This player should hand in their game check for their poor performance tonight against the Cincinnati Bengals. And we will reset that in a 24 to 18 loss real quick. Do we have any defensive sacks? No, uh, Leonard Floyd and Jordan Phillips combined for a half of a sack each. Yeah. No it was a big sack for what it's worth. Yeah. It was, it was a very timely sack, but still. Yeah. All right. Um, I'll let you go first. Who gets your game ball for their performance tonight against the Cincinnati Bengals? Well, thanks. I haven't even thought about a game. Ball. You want me to go first? I got two, so I'll just pick yeah, one. Go for it. Yeah. I'm going to go Dane Jackson. Uh, I think, I think um, you know, there's a certain offensive player that, that has stood out. He had a, a bad moment near the end of the game, but overall positive night for him. But Dane Jackson uh, popped quite a bit tonight. There were several plays where he was beat. He was beat downfield by Jamar Chase. That's going to happen. Jamar Chase is a much better athlete than Dane Jackson, but he fought through, knocked the ball away. I thought he was physical in his tackling throughout the night. And, you know, it's been a tough week for Dane Jackson. The Bills went out at the trade deadline and traded for Rasul Douglas, who many of us assume is going to take Dane Jackson's job. And, um, you know, Dane Jackson has been kind of a meme on this defense. And every time he gives up a completion, people just can't wait to talk about how bad he is. But I thought he was one of the few players out there that was demonstrating attitude and, and playing with authority tonight. And I thought he was all over the field. And I thought for what we've come to expect out of Dane Jackson and compounding it with the fact that the Russell Douglas trade happened several days ago and he was active tonight, I thought Dane Jackson had a hell of a game. And, and I'm very happy to give him my game ball. Yeah, I'm glad you said you made him first too. Uh, that yeah, especially early on, you're like, oh man, it's play after play he's making. You know, he's punching balls out. You know, just making a play, open field tackles, everything was good. Yeah, no, that's that was definitely he deserves to be the first one. I'm honestly gonna go with Linval Joseph, and, okay. and that's that's the individual because look, he didn't do a whole heck of a lot. And I will say this: he had to absolutely swallow a double team on the mix and rushing touchdown where there's just not much you could do, especially coming off the street. Um, it's not ultimately his fault for that when you got two large men on you, as large as he is. There's only so much you can do. Um, and at his age, I'm sure his legs aren't the greatest to really hold that up as much as he wanted to. Um, but the big play he made to make it a third and short on a, after a quarterback sneak um, that popped. I mean, everyone remembers the play. I think he deserves that to be quite honest. It, it's, I, I think it's fitting though. Overall, I wanted to just grab another defensive player and I'll finish the point with this before we go to game checks, because everything I said about the defense, especially early on where they weren't getting home and all that stuff, I think that was more design and just not coaching it correctly or just not getting it the message across on what needed to happen and just not being able to allow these players to execute. Because overall, I still feel like the defense did the job it needed to do tonight. And I think it's fitting that we are calling out two individuals as players on the defense that at least stood out a little bit themselves when ultimately it felt like this game uh, up until, I mean, up until that Jamar chase or no, the T Higgins play where then they still hold them to a field goal. I mean, the Bengals scored three points in the second half. Yeah. Like they did their job. They give the, they gave the offense every opportunity they could have in reality. It's a, it, what feels like a Kincaid fumble 
away from really making something happen magically. But the defense player-wise, there are deserving individuals like Linval, like, of course, Dane Jackson you brought up. And I don't think that the faults and the excuses or the complaints I had is about the players on the field because they at least did the best they could as players and individuals out there against a very, very good and healthier Bengals offense. I'm excited to see how Linval played when the All-22 comes out because, to your point, on a night where the Bills were down to you and me at linebacker, like, quite honestly, they had Jordan Poyer, they had Tyler Matikavich was the next man up, and a Bengals team that ran all over them in the playoffs, the Bills held the Bengals running backs to less, to, less than three yards per carry. And that's not nothing because this game was never to the point where the Bengals could abandon the run. Clearly, they had the lead all night long. Um, so I, I like that. And um, yeah, I think I think that's a good one. I think Dalton Kincaid deserves consideration. Unfortunately, the fumble happened, ended up being quite the big turning point. So that's probably why he got no mention from either one of us. All right. With the with the good, there's got to be some bad. Luca, I think there's a lot more options for this one. Who gets your game check award for the Bills? Let me just do on this one real quick. Dorsey, <laughs> I want you to work pro bono for the rest of the year. Because honestly, I don't even think you're worth free labor. You are garbage. You're garbage. Either you don't know how to call an offense, or you don't have the balls to tell McDermott to go F himself. Or both. And it's, I'm done. I want someone that's willing to just unleash an offense that has the capability to be unleashed. We've talked about how it might not actually be as good of personnel as they are, but even in that, it still underperforms because of play calling, because of design, and just the inability to recognize what works and to lean on it. It's ridiculous to me if I went to work and I was really good at something for then me to think it's right to not do that one thing and my boss to think it's okay and my coworkers to think it's okay. If that's how I handle something really well, I probably should be doing that at a regular basis. I probably should be doing what puts me in the best position to succeed. And I need you, Dorsey, to figure that the F out or get the hell out of here and don't collect another paycheck. I feel like, yes, there's a lot of players that probably deserve this award and everything, but the overall thing is I can't get it out of my head. Just you're, you're garbage. You're dog water. You're, you're awful. You are so uninspiring with everything you do. This is the straw that broke the camel's back. I'm officially on that train, and it just took no time into this game for me to get there because the Josh Allen interception isn't a Dorsey thing. It, you know, the moments like Kincaid fumbly, fumbly, fumbling is not a Dorsey thing, but just the collective effort and what you put out there by design is absolutely embarrassingly pathetic. And you deserve the blame for that. You just, I think McDermott is joint in with that. I don't know if that's the way you're going to go, but I just want to isolate it to Dorsey for this point, because when it comes, push comes to shove and you know, you need to be doing something different or you should recognize that you should be able to tell the individual that you want to do something different and you don't have the balls to do it. So Dorsey, game check for the rest of the season at this point, to be quite honest. You're just going to go ahead and give him some game checks. Yeah, before pencil, the game's in. Even yeah, pencil in some game checks. All right. Well, I am going to go with Sean McDermott. And I thought about Gabe Davis, I you know, zero catches. But here's the thing. 
I think no matter what you want to choose to be angriest about tonight, that it all ends up coming back on Sean McDermott. This is a Bills team that had a mini buy. They had 10 days to prepare for this against the Bengals team that played on the road three time zones over last week against a very physical San Francisco 49ers team. And you would not have known from the way this game started that one team had more time to prepare than the other. You would not have known from the way this game started that one team was angry about the other team ending their season in their building last year and kind of stunting on them in the process. In fact, it was the Bengals that looked like they came out with more energy than the Bills. Um, if you want to be mad about Ken Dorsey, I'm right there with you. Who enables him to call the plays? If you want to be mad about game da Gabe Davis, I'm right there with you. Um, is it a they're not using him right thing? Well, whose job is that to use him right? It's Ken Dorsey. Who enables Ken Dorsey? Sean McDermott. Is it Gabe Davis isn't qualified to be a wide receiver too? Who oversees the fact that he gets 100% of the snaps every single week? Sean McDermott. Um, is it the fact that the defense kept blitzing, kept blitzing when Joe Burrow was picking it apart? Who calls the defensive play? Sean McDermott. Stefan Diggs is mad about the tempo. Who oversees that? Ultimately, Sean McDermott. Everything that that I don't think Sean McDermott did anything tonight to put his team into an advantageous situation. I thought he hurt them down the stretch with his timeout usage, um, with his challenging of plays. I'm trying to remember when did they they called a timeout early in the second half because they were afraid of taking a delay a game, which again, five yards is not worth a timeout in a game that you're trailing by two scores. Um, I don't think this has been a great Sean McDermott season. I'm very frustrated with a lot of things on this team, but. I feel like right now, Luca, I'm, I don't want to say I'm afraid because I, I live through the drought. This feels like a season that could go off the rails. When you look at the schedule, the Bills play at home against the Broncos, at home against the Jets, before they have trips to Philadelphia and Kansas City. If they lose either of these next two games, seasons off the rails off mm -hmm. the rails uh, you have to sweep these two games uh, it'd be great if you look convincing doing it but at this point in time beggars can't be choosers just get them to the win column and then take your best shot against philadelphia and kansas city uh but yeah if, if they lose either one of these next two seasons um this season will officially start to feel like a drought season and that's a shame and you you would hate to waste ultimately you never know how long josh allen's going to be around is this the best version of the bills that they've had under Josh Allen? Absolutely not. It, it, I think we're learning this roster isn't as good as we thought. I think guys like Hyde and Poi, and by the way, game checks, we're, we're done with that, by the way, <laughs> next segment, um, Hyde and Poyer are not the best versions of themselves, despite how much, you know, a lot of us love them. Tredavious white before getting hurt, I think was showing signs of that. Um, you know, you kind of look around this team, Von Miller is certainly struggling. You know, you never know how much longer you're going to have digs, but at least, make the playoffs at least get into the tournament and take your Josh Allen shot. Cause you never know when you're going to get your 2005 Pittsburgh Steelers where Ben Roethlisberger makes it as the, as the sixth seed and wins the whole thing or 2006 Indianapolis Colts where the Colts don't even get a buy back then there were two and they win it as a wild card. So you just never know, uh, get in. But I think if they lose one of these next two games against the jets or the Broncos, um, they will not make the playoffs. And then, holy cow, I think every single conversation you want to have is open because Terry Pagula, you probably know better than me, um, especially from the hockey side. I don't I don't get the sense that, that he's necessarily wanting to go back into coaching free agency. He doesn't have a greatest track record with, with hiring coaches. I think in a lot of ways he feels like 
You know, he, he found his, his golden goose in McDermott. Um, but he has a lot of money tied up in escrow with bonus money paid to guys like Von Miller, guys like Dawson Knox, guys like Stefan Diggs, Josh Allen. And I think Terry Pagula knows how talented this team is. And if they're not even in the top seven in the AFC and they don't even make the playoffs, uh, that's that's going to be tough. So that that's kind of where my last thought is here, Luca, is while it looks like, okay, it's kind of a, a soft landing spot, Broncos on Monday night, Jets the next week, just get those two games and then kind of see what happens after that. I, I'm bracing for something worse if, if one of these two games gets going kind of slow. I can easily see the this team that we just saw losing to the Jets with ease in two weeks. I don't know if I could see this team losing to the Broncos on Monday night. I'll just put that out there. Um, I feel like the Broncos and Sean Payton is doing his like people want to talk about how Russell Wilson's having a better year. And it's like Sean Payton is doing everything in his damn darndest to, to baby and coddle Russell Wilson to get the best out of him for now. And he is just waiting to put something else in there at quarterback. Um, it, it's just one of those things where I, I even with the performance we saw tonight, I think the Bills can overcome a Broncos team that we've seen this year. But the Jets game, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how the Bills can win that game. Like, that's incredible. Josh Allen, take PFF for what it is, is the number one rated PFF quarterback right now. The number one. Did what we see tonight look like the number one rated PFF quarterback? No, it probably looked like number 16. And, and that's not because Josh Allen wasn't trying to be a great quarterback. He still had great moments and everything like that. The problem is you look at the offensive production as a whole, and it did not look good. And now you're going to play probably the top three defense in the league in the Jets at full health. I don't think they have any major injuries going on right now. <laughs> we saw what happened week one. I think week one was a little bit of a weird situation too, where the bills just didn't understand what the heck was going on when it came to you're expecting to play almost a shootout in a little bit of a ways with Aaron Rodgers. The next thing you know, that's over, but it's, I don't know how they win that game right now at this point in time. I think it's an emotional reaction overall. I think I'm, I'm just overthinking it at this point. By the time we get to that game, I think I can understand what's going to happen, but I just, I just don't know. And then, as you said, you go to Philly the next week for a 4:25 kickoff in Philadelphia. I definitely don't know how the Bills win that game. They, they won't. Oh, yeah, the Eagles don't look incredible. I mean, geez, it took mm -hmm. it took a hell of an effort to cover the three points today against a Cowboys team, which are fugazis to me. But I, I mean, the Eagles in that, even with what they did tonight absolutely destroy the bills luckily you get a buy to play a chiefs that i think the chiefs offense leaves a lot to be desired which is crazy in its own right but they still have a very good defense that can man up and i think the bills are not exactly the best when you have a defense that can create pressure and man up um so you don't, I don't know how you need to drop some man beaters out there yeah yeah i trust the guy who can't scheme zone beaters let's see what he mm -hmm. can do against man which is even harder to scheme up to it's 40 like yard fades the Gabe Davis on third and three. Yeah, this is beautiful. Um, it, it's just, it's a bleak outlook right now. It's, yeah. it's bleak. It is depressing. It's horrible. It's, it's unfamiliar territory because we've enjoyed the last few years for what they've been. But man, like you said, if you don't win both of these games coming up, if you, and mainly in my mind, and I think in your mind as well, even though you didn't outright say it, I think it's more about the jets game. But yeah. Boy, if you lose to the Broncos. 
if you lose to the if you lose to the Broncos, I actually want you to just probably IR Josh for whatever the shoulder situation is and just call it a season. Fire Dorsey on the spot. Just wrap it up. Lose every game possible at that point. <laughs> oh my God. I don't even want I don't even want to think about that. But um it's just it's so bleak. It's depressing. I wish I could think of something optimistically here, but it's like you watch football around the league and not that there's a lot of good football happening, but you have CJ Stroud exploding against the same Tampa offense that this bill's offense really stalled out against a lot. You have other things going on where it's like Jalen hurts. Who's dealing with a knee injury and stuff like that. Are they're still able to make things work on that offense? It's a great offense. We don't have an AJ Brown and a Devonta Smith and all that. But it's like you watch other teams out there. A Fugazi team like the Cowboys can still literally get within 20-something yards of a winner in a game that they honestly had no business in my mind getting it to that point. I think the Eagles just stalled out late, and it somehow almost worked out after a couple, like a PI call, and then what was it, a questionable roughing the passer that got them down the field quick. But that happens for them because they're putting themselves in opportunistic places to get there that's just what happens for teams that understand what it takes to get into those moments and the bills just don't have that so why should i think they can beat the jets who are a top three defense and we saw them lose already to this season with zach wilson at quarterback who was coming in cold why should this team even remotely get close to that eagles team when they play them a week later team beat the chiefs who have always proven that they can still take on everyone. And even against the best statistic offense in this league, they shut them out for three quarters, essentially. This, this team is average. Mm-hmm. This Bills team is average. And I think that is a direct reflection of the coaching staff. The coaching staff is average. You don't have the number one rated PFF quarterback, a freak talent in Josh Allen, and be average anywhere else as you talked about mike mcdaniel as josh allen instead of tua the dolphins are a super bowl favorite every year i don't care mm-hmm. josh allen i mentioned it with mcveigh even on its current roster i think that's a playoff team and probably can contend with anyone because mcveigh is just that good this coaching staff and how average and pathetic as they are has somehow figured out a way to screw things up so badly that when you look at this schedule, Josh, I can easily see the Bills finishing 7-10. and 10. Mm-hmm. That is just explicitly wrong. A Josh Allen team should never be under 500, ever. It, it yeah. just, that's just how it is. In my mind, they're going to be 9-8, and eight, and that's not good enough. They might make the playoffs, but I, I haven't gone 9-8. and eight. I'll take 9-8. and eight. I'll, fucking, I'll take 9-8. and eight. Because I just don't think this team can do it. Imagine hearing yourself say that two months ago. Oh, imagine imagine us, what was it, a month ago against the Miami the, the Miami game? Imagine us thinking we're here now. What an, out, what an outlier that Miami game was. Yeah, like you could talk about injuries and health and the defense is what the defense is. That's the problem, though. You know, there there is a problem. You know, I know we're trying to wrap this up. I know what you're trying to yeah. do here. It's understandable. It is very late. It's 1 a.m. where I am. But it's you can talk about injuries and, oh, man, it would be nice to have Daquan Jones. It would be nice to have Matt Milano out there and stuff like that. Yeah, 
Hell yeah, I would. It'd be great to have these all pro players out there. But if you're so dependent in that, you're not a good coach. Mm-hmm. You're not good at your job. You have these unbelievably talented players disguising your averageness. You have these unbelievable. Think about like I mentioned it. I can't believe I'm mentioning this guy again in this podcast. Think about Frank Reich at his peak as a play caller. He had a MVP caliber Carson Wentz and a very dynamic offense in Philly that was able to exploit a lot of different things. And I think that was more of the talent on the field, just taking average to above average play calling and just making it incredible on their own accord, on their own talent. And that's what Sean McDermott might actually be. Because we talk about a few things like also where he can mold DBs and corners specifically into better guys. Josh Norman is a track record thing. All of that stuff. That's all fine and dandy. Those are little, little things. As a defensive coordinator, as an individual who knows or tries to know how to run stuff, when you're so lean heavy on stuff and a couple injuries make you an average at best defense, make you look like you actually don't know how to scheme up pressure, like design pressures and things like that. And you are just getting torched left and right while you can't get home. That's when you're officially the stamp of average. And when you're trying to control games, when you have no business neutering it on the offensive side and you have no clue what you're doing, and you have a fresh, impressionable play caller. I'll give him a little bit of a crutch, Dorsey, even though I can't stand him already. You're, you're just absolutely micromanaging him to the point where he then is helping you neuter a Josh Allen with Stefan Diggs. You're wrong. I don't care. I don't care that I'm couch, you know, sitting here, never being in an NFL room. When you have so many individuals looking at it going, the coaching's just not good enough. And this offense should be better. And just things aren't clicking and don't look right. And you have players in that locker room questioning why you're not doing tempo. You're average at best. You're making the team average at best. And you are the problem. And that's where I'll leave it. Ben Solak from The Ringer tweeting out, the Bills have the best offensive EPA per drive in football. The Bills have the second best point differential in football. The Bills are five and four. He gets a follow-up question from a Bills. And Ben, do you have any thoughts on why this is? Or do you think it's just bad luck in a sample size? Ben says they turn the ball over a lot on offense and on defense. They can't stop anyone. So once the offense makes a mistake, they're pretty chalked. I'm with you. I have a hard time blaming the defense because they have such a long list of excuses. But like you have said time and time again tonight, this team is coached by a defensive head coach. And these drives... The, the Bills had eight minutes of time of possession at halftime. Yep. These long drives that the defense gives up makes the offense impatient. And it's just hard to really see a path to where this defense gets better. I mean, you assume Terrell Bernard's going to come back. At this point, I think you're hoping Von Miller ramps it back up. Um, but they're not covering. I mean, Rasul Douglas should give them a boost, hopefully. Um, but... At this point, it's hard to imagine this defense. It feels like this defense's ceiling is average, and that means that for this team to really have a chance to compete for something meaningful, the offense has to be great. And uh, we'll see if they can do it. They have that potential, uh, but it certainly didn't happen tonight. It hasn't happened in about a month and a half. So we shall see. Uh, Next up for these Buffalo Bills is a Monday night back, back under the lights against the Denver Broncos. Surprise that game 
didn't get flex consideration. They're not going to flex Josh Allen out from primetime. He is must-see TV. Um, and then Luca and I, still TBD, what our schedule looks like this weekend with uh, Monday night football can kind of throw things off. Just stay tuned to Bill's chat, and we'll keep you up to date on what's going on with our shows coming up this weekend as we get you ready for this matchup with the Denver Broncos as the 5-4 and four Bills find themselves in a must-win situation against these Denver Broncos. Luca, any final thoughts tonight before we get out of here? Oh, I need to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> I need to just rest this one off because, yeah, as we, as I even said, it's therapeutic and stuff like that. I don't think this really helped uh, when it comes to calming me down in a little no. bit. It's just, I think, unfortunately, where the projection is. I will say this. The Bengals still have to play at the Ravens. They still have to play at Jacksonville. They still have to play at Pittsburgh. They still have to play at Kansas City. And they still have to play Cleveland one more time, which seems to be their kind of kryptonite. So when it comes to the outlook, when you look at opposition in the Bengals, maybe there's still losses to be had there as well. But boy, things are not looking good. Feels to me like the Bills are competing for a wild card spot. I know they're a half game back of Miami, but Miami's schedule compared to the Bills is cake. Uh, it just is what it is at this point in time. And uh, the Bills have not proven they can beat a good team. So... Maybe that'll change. They'll have the opportunity down the stretch because they play quite a few of them. Uh, but for Luca, I am Josh McCarty. Tough, tough night for the Buffalo Bills. We will be back with you next week, win or lose. We will ride this ride with you together. Right now, it's a down. Hopefully up next week against the Broncos. And we will see you next time on Bills Chat. <laughs>